Um, but anyway, it's good to be here with you this morning. If you want to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1, when Pastor Todd asked me to preach uh, on Mother's Day, um, I always struggle to be like, okay, what do you, if you had one thing to pick, you know, if you got to pick, you know, from any sermon, it's like, where do you, where do you go? Like oftentimes we're in a series and it's like, okay, I know what the next thing is, but when it's your options, you got all these options. I mean, the Bible is great, full of great stories, great Bible verses. Um, and so I, I chose first Samuel chapter one today for multiple reasons. Um, it's about Hannah, a mother. Um, and also because, um, Hannah, whose son Samuel, was also involved in David's life, who we've been in a series about him for quite some time. So we are going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 1 today. Um, and as you're turning there, uh, yesterday we had our, our neighborhood yard sale, uh, annual neighborhood yard sale. Um, and our quite a few people in our community put up yard sales, and it, it, it's pretty big. I was surprised when we first moved in there how big this yard sale was every year, how early people actually get up to go yard sailing is kind of ridiculous, for one. Um, but because we're there at 7 o'clock, you know, trying to set up, and people are going through our stuff. It's like, hey, just wait, just wait. But anyway, um, so we get a lot of people through. Uh, we did yesterday, and sometimes it just seems like, I'm not sure if they're there to shop or if they're just lonely and they just want to talk to somebody. I mean, I feel like there's some yard sailors that are just out there just to talk to somebody. Um, and yesterday, and it, it's good. We don't mind talking. I mean, my wife doesn't mind talking. Uh, she usually does most of it. Um, but um, yesterday, one of our neighbors down the street came along um, and he was just walking around and we started chatting and because he, he had had some work done in his backyard I noticed a week or two before, I'm like, so what'd you do in the backyard? He's like, oh, I, I put a gazebo in and he has a nice patio. He's got the, a whole setup in his backyard. He's like, I put a gazebo in and then he was going on about, it cost him $500 just to take down the fence so they could put the gazebo in and put the fence back up. So just moving the fence, you know, he's like, oh, all these costs and things. But then he went into it and he's like, and my son, but my son's getting married soon and I'm trying to make the house nice because I, I want to leave this to him when I'm gone. Okay, and so you could tell he was proud of his son and who his son was and, and, and that. And so in our, but in our scripture here this morning, we come across a woman who didn't have a son. All right, she didn't have any children. Um, and we're going to see, as we look through this passage of scripture, how God works in her lives, in her life, and it also if we can take out of it how he also works in our lives as well. All right, so you're in 1 Samuel chapter 1, but before we get into it, let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you um, for our mothers, Lord, for those that, that um, you have uh, uh, given to us to guide us, to lead us. We thank you for their commitment, for their devotion, Lord, and we thank you for your love for us. Lord, you are the God who loves us. You gave your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, for whom we are so grateful. So, Lord, as we look into your word today... Lord, open up our hearts, open up our minds to receive your instruction, to understand your message from your word. We pray all this in your name. Amen. All right, so 1 Samuel 1, we're going to be starting in verses 1 and 2, but before we get, and that's, we're going to be looking at the setting, okay, what's the scene of this whole episode um, of what events that go on, but before we get into the passage, I just want to give you a little background on where 1 Samuel is starting, all right? 
So 1 Samuel comes during the, near the end of the time of the Judges. And I think the senior saints are right now in a Bible study on the, the book of Judges. So if you want to know a lot more about the Judges, talk to your senior saints. Um, but let me give you a quick summary of what was going on uh, in the book of Judges. There was a lot of turmoil going on, going on in Hannah's world, in the, in the world of, of Israel. The people of Israel who God had chosen to be a light to the world and a people for his own possession continuously rebelled against him and went their own way. Instead of being an example to the nations, God had set them, start, uh, set them apart to be an example to all the nations of what it's like to have a relationship with the true God, what it's like to know God. Instead of that, they wanted to be just like the nations around them. They ended up worshiping their gods, following their customs. And so God punished them by letting these other nations and other tribes come in and capture them and and steal their food and and dominate them uh, and oppress them to the point that Israel would cry out to God and he would send a deliverer, a judge. You know, some of the more well-known ones are like Gideon and Samson. And so God would send them these men um, and, and women to um, help them in their dire situation to free them from their oppressors. But they would quickly turn back to their sinful ways. And this was like a continual cycle. It's a constant cycle through the book of Judges. You know, time after time, you know, they rebel from God. Um, God punishes them. They come back to God. They, and and it, goes, it keep, goes in this circle. All right. All right, and, the, and by the end of the book of Judges, they are like fighting each other. The tribes of Israel were fighting each other. They were worshiping idols um, from other, other nations to where the final verse in the book of Judges, and sorry, senior saints, I'm going to give you the end of the story, but the final verse in the book of Judges is this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so out of that situation, we get two stories, actually. You get the story that follows Judges, the book of Ruth, all right? And in the book of Ruth, what we find is uh, the family of, the, the story of Ruth, and we'll talk about a little bit about that a little bit later, but Ruth, Ruth was the great-grandmother of King David, all right? And so you get that story, and then in the beginning of 1 Samuel, we find Hannah, who, who is Samuel's mother. And so we find the story, this origin story of these great men of Israel that will help bring some stability, will bring the people back to God. All right. And so that's what we're walking into as we come into first Samuel. So as we let's look into the setting here in verses one and two, and I'm going to be reading from the ESV translation of the Bible, but you can follow along in whatever translation you might have with you. Um, verse one and two says this. There was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jerohoam, uh, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zoph, an Ephrathite. You know, I've, and I practiced those all week and it's still. All right. And verse two says he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah and the name of the other Penina and Penina had children but Hannah had no children. So here we see the setting. What's going on? We find the main characters. We find this man, Elkanah, um, from the town. I'm not going to try to pronounce it again, but it was also called Ra- Rama. 
um, in other passages, which is easier to say, so I'm going to use that. Um, and he lived in that land that God had given to the tribe of Ephraim. Now, in First Chronicles, we find out that Elkanah is a Levite. He's from the tribe of Levi. But here in this passage, it calls him an Ephrathite um, because of where he was residing, because of where they were living. If you remember um, when God gave the 12 tribes of Israel land in the land of Israel, he didn't give the tribe of Levi any land. Like they didn't have any designated, here's your spot. All right, the, Levi, the Levites were set aside to be God's priest, and so they lived among the people. All right, so Elkanah here was a Levite that lived among the tribe of Ephraim. All right, and we find that Elkanah had two wives, one named Hannah and the other Penina. And at the end of verse 2, we find the underlying issue that is the main concern for the bulk of this, for this passage, and that is that Penina had children, but Hannah had none. From the get-go, you can kind of see the trouble within this family unit. Um, and as we said, the Israelites often took customs from the nations around them. And having multiple wives was one of those things. Uh, even though God was clear from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 2, he said marriage was between a, one man and one woman. Many of the Old Testament leaders, you think of Abraham, Jacob, David, had more than one wife. And every time it seemed to create family problems. Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. But as we're about to see, once you go past a wife to multiple wives, trouble ensues. So here, during the time of the judges, with all the turmoil and chaos going on, we come across this family and a man and his two wives, and the events are going to focus on Hannah, her barrenness, and her broken heart. All right, so let's look into the story. Let's look at verse 3. Uh, verse 3 says this, it says, Now this man used to go up year by year from the city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed, because the Lord had closed her womb. So, so it went on year by year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than 10 sons? All right, so let's talk about this, the story here for a second. Uh, we find that this family faithfully went up year after year to worship at Shiloh. Now, Shiloh was where they had the tabernacle set up. So Joshua, when they entered the land, set up the tabernacle, which was their place of worship in Shiloh. And there we find Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who were in charge of worship. And later on in 1 Samuel we'll find that the corruption that was in Israel worked its way into the worship leaders as well. And there he, and the, we'll find that Hophni and Phinehas were also spiritually corrupt. But whether this was, but, but in our story, whether this was an annual feast God had required in the Bible that, that Israelites come and, and celebrate different, different feasts together, 
Or if this was just a time where Elkanah said, hey, our family is going up this time every year. We're going to worship God together as a family and come back. Uh, We don't know, but we do find that Elkanah was faithful in making worship a priority for him and his family. All right, and so we find that he did this year after year. The family went up to worship. And so when he made his sacrifices, it says he would give a portion to Penina and to all her kids. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because, as it says, he loved her even though God had closed her womb. So there were certain sacrifices that you got to keep a portion and you would eat it as kind of a fellowship with God. And it's like, and so Elkanah would share that with his family. Um, And it's likely that Hannah was his first wife. And when she was unable to bear children, Elkanah took on his second wife to produce children to keep the family line going. You know, children in ancient times, in ancient biblical times, were very important to the family. In those days, without, without a son, your family line would end. Um, but not just that, but children were also involved in the family business, in the agriculture of, of growing the food that you eat and all the, all the stuff that came with keeping the family alive and surviving. All right. And not only that, but as you grow older, there were no government programs. There were no retirement homes. You, you depended on your children to take care of you in your old age. But with, but with that, Elkanah, it says, he's, even though Hannah could not bear children, he still loved Hannah. And it, it says he shows, he shows her favoritism. He gave, twice, gave her twice what he gave Panina. Now, of course, this did not sit well with Panina, right? And verse 6 calling, calls her Hannah's rival. Now, if you're a sports fan... Rivalries are great, right? Yeah, everybody likes a good rivalry in sports. I like to watch a good rivalry, usually when it's not my team, though. Like, so this afternoon, the 76ers and the Celtics, okay? I'm not excited about that game. I'm a little scared. But other rivalries, I love to watch rivalries. Rivalries in sports are great, all right? But when rivalries take place in the home, in the family, it's generally not a good thing. And so here, this uh, verse spits it right out and says Penina was the, was Hannah's rival like they were they were clashing um and it says she would provoke her grievously um some of your translations might say provoke her bitter bitterly to irritate her or taunting her and making fun of her and it gives us why it says because God had closed her womb now twice in verses 5 and 6 The author lets us know that God had closed her womb, that this was not an accident. It was not happenstance, but that that Hannah could not have children. But it was something that God had done intentionally. And according to Deuteronomy 7, which was what the Israelites looked to, God's law, God's word to them, having children was a sign of God's blessing. So the ancient Israelite being barren was viewed as a curse. And so Penina would probably ridicule and taunt her for being a childless wife. Probably saying, hey, what did you do wrong? What did you do to God that you don't have kids? What's wrong with you? Why doesn't God care for you? All right. And it says that this happened year after year after year. And it drives Hannah to the point where she was weeping and unable to eat. All right. In verse 8, we again see Elkanah, the loving husband, coming to try to help and And says to her, you know, why do you weep 
Why don't you eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Now, if there were, to me, if there were a list of things not to say to your wife, um, I kind of feel like this would be up there near the top, right along with it looks the same after she gets a haircut, right? Or, you know, what did you do all day, you know? Um, here he, you know, he, he's, he's saying, aren't I better than, to you than, t- than having 10 sons, right? You know, almost, almost like complimenting himself while he's trying to encourage his wife. Um, so men, if you struggle with understanding your wife's emotions, as I do, and misunderstanding her and what she is going through, just know you're not alone. Okay. This has been a problem for a very long time. All right. Case in point, we have Elkanah here. Uh, he attempts to comfort his wife by complimenting himself and asking her to eat more food. He's just like, here, I'll give you extra food. All right. So needless to say, his attempts to comfort and encourage her do not work. And so let's look at verse 9 and continue on in the passage and see what, what happens next in this story. In verse 9, it says, After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. So we have this prayer by Hannah here. Now, so after the family eats their meal, uh, Hannah gets up, she goes to the tabernacle to pray, uh, and it says that Eli the priest was sitting there by the door, and we'll hear more from him in just a moment. But right now we see her, her heart. We get a glimpse that the author tells us how she really felt. All right, verse 10 says she was deeply distressed. All right, other translations say in deep anguish or deep hurt. Uh, the Hebrew word here literally means bitter of soul. Uh, the, the Hebrew word bitter here is Mara. And as if you remember, we talked about the book of Ruth and the story of Ruth. If you remember the story of Ruth, what happened in, the, in Ruth was during the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land and uh, Naomi and her husband and two sons decided they need to leave Israel to kind of flee the famine. They go to Moab. All right. There in Moab, her two sons get married. All right. And everything goes downhill. Her husband, Naomi's husband, and both her sons die, end up dying there in Moab. Uh, she loses everything. All right, one of the daughter-in-laws goes back to her family, but the other daughter-in-law, Ruth, decides to stay with Naomi and follow her back to her hometown in Israel and join her and be a part of her family there. And as Naomi comes back to Israel, as she comes back to her home, she tells the people around her, no longer call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Call me bitter in soul because God has dealt bitterly with me. She had lost everything. She was crushed in spirit. All right. And that's the the spirit that we find in Hannah here when she says, I am deeply distressed. And so here in our passage, we find Hannah deeply distressed, collapsing before the door of the tabernacle and crying out to God in prayer. In this prayer, she asked God to look on her affliction and her suffering. Just had, 
as the Israelites had done when they were in Egypt. All right, it's it's a reminiscent of that when when they were oppressed by Pharaoh, when there was no way out, when they there was no way out of their suffering. They called on God in the midst of their affliction. Hannah does the same. And so she makes a vow to God. In despair, she turns to the Lord of hosts. Her years of barrenness have convinced her that any child born to her will be nothing short of a miraculous gift from God. Therefore, she vows to return such a precious gift to God forever if he will only answer her cry. And when she says no razor will touch his head, she was referring to the Nazarite vow. It was another tradition of Israel uh, that God had given them. Um, and it's explained in Numbers chapter 6. It's, it talks about a man or a woman who wanted to commit a certain amount of time to God. There were certain restrictions that were placed on them. One of them was um, no razor would touch their head. All right. If you remember the story of Samson. Right. He was kind of the same way. No razor would touch their head. And so and there were other things like uh, not drinking wine and other things so that they could commit this time, this certain amount of time to the Lord. <clears throat> All right. So the Nazarite would they would take this vow. It was usually 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. I'm committing this time to the Lord. I'm restricting myself from these things. I'm focusing on God. And then when the time was over, uh, they would shave their heads and and the, and the vow would be complete. All right. But here uh, and those vows were all often always temporary. But here Hannah is offering her unborn child as a permanent Nazarite whose life would be wholly and exclusively God's. Hannah's saying, God, this this son that you give me, I will give him back to you completely. So Hannah makes this plea to God before the temple. All right. The text continues in verse 12. It says, and as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips were moving and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. All right, so we find Levi the priest. He was sitting there, seeing her emotional and only her lips moving. He mistook her for a drunk, and so he confronted her. Now, I don't know if you've ever been mistaken for being drunk, but this probably came as quite a shock to Hannah. You know, here she is pouring her heart out to God, and, and the worship guy there, the pastor there, uh, basically thought she was drunk and, and confronts her about it. All right, so she quickly um, explains her situation. Um, and her true condition, she tells them that she is, has been pouring out her soul. You know, often we, we probably use the term pouring out our hearts more. Um, and again, this just confirms what we already know. But what does it mean that we pour out our hearts? When we, when we talk about pouring out our hearts, when we talk about pouring out our hearts to somebody, what do we usually mean when we do that? 
Well, we're usually past the point of framing the truth to our liking, right? Or being concerned about the image of us that the other person will see. When we pour out our hearts, we're at the point where we're just ready to unload, right? We just, we just need somebody else to help carry this burden, this burden that's in my heart. I, I, need, I need to just unload it to you. All right, and so Hannah here is doing that with God. She is unloading her burden. She is speaking out her heart, pouring out her heart. And that's how it describes, Hannah describes her prayer to God. And so Eli, after hearing her intentions and her heart, blesses her, confirming to her that God would grant her her request. And it says she went and ate and her face was no longer sad. All right, and verse 19 continues the story. Uh, kind of concludes the story for us here today. In verse 19, it says, They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. So the family wraps up their their year, their their worship that they do year after year, finishing up their worship time in Shiloh, and went back home. And it says, God remembered Hannah, and she became pregnant. Now, when the Bible speaks of God remembering, it's speaking about him taking action in his time, right? If we go back to Genesis, we see it says that God remembered Noah as he was on the ark, all right? It wasn't, it wasn't that God was so busy you know, enjoying how he was giving the whole world a bath, all right, that he forgot, you know, he was like, oh man, I forgot about Noah, I got to pull the plug, all right, and, and drain this thing, all right. It, he didn't completely forget, he wasn't out of his mind, but it was God in his timing, all right. In, in Hannah's day, there was a lot of chaos going on, all right. God wasn't too busy running around saying, okay, why are these Israelites fighting each other? Okay, why is this guy filling his house full of idols and having other people come and worship? Why is this guy chopping up a dead body and sending it everywhere and then being like, oh, oh, that's right, I forgot about Hannah. I, I should have given her a kid years ago. All right, that's not what it means when it says God remembers. We, that's usually what we mean when we say, oh, I remember that now. I, I was supposed to do that. All right, but when the Bible talks of God remembering, it's him taking action in his time. All right, God is coming through with his plan in his timing. And so here, as in the, in the case of Noah, as in the case of Abraham, and as the, in the case of Rachel, God, um, those who were looking to God in faith, and in his timing, he remembered them and took action on their behalf. And he gave Hannah this son that she had asked for. All right, so that is our story here this morning. That is our passage here this morning. But what is the significance, right? What is the significance for us here, thousands of years later, this little, this little story about somebody that happened a long time ago, why is it significant to us here today? Well, let me start out by saying that this passage is not teaching us that if we want something bad enough or for the right reasons and you take it to God, he will give it to you. All right, so if you're deeply distressed about wanting a brand new red Corvette, all right, and you go to God and you say, God, I want this brand new red Corvette and I will use it for you. I will put the church logo on there. I'll put Bible verses on there. I'll drive it around and advertise for you. All right, that is not what the passage is trying to teach us. 
Now, if you do go out and buy a red Corvette and want to put the church logo on, let us know. Um, we can talk about that. But that's not what, what the passage is about. This actually gives us, this is just a, a piece of God's great story of how he is going to bring, how he is keeping his promises. So God promised a long time before this that Abraham, um, one day from your family, all the world will be blessed. He was speaking of Jesus, saying, one day I'm going to bring along somebody who's going to be there to bless the whole world, to bring forgiveness to the whole world. And so Hannah is a part of that story. From Hannah comes Samuel. Samuel's the one who, who um, anoints King David. David is the one who Jesus comes from his line. And so there's this big, long story that God is drawing out. And so God gives Hannah this son in order to be a part of this process. All right, but let me give a few things, a few takeaways that we can come from from this passage. All right, first of all, God is the only one who can meet our deepest need. God is the only one who can meet our deepest need. When we are hurting or struggling or deeply distressed, like Hannah, we can't find what we truly need in people, right? Think of the people that came up in Hannah's story. All right, first you have Penina, this, the, other, the other wife, all right, her, her rival. All right, she just looked to hurt her. She was, she was out to get her, you know, and we know that hurt people tend to hurt other people, right? And so Elkanah's showing Hannah some favoritism. Penina's kind of jealous of this. And so her hurt, she, she, she takes that on Hannah. All right, uh, we also see Elkanah. The husband who loved her more and gave her special treatment. Um, and and in tr- he was well-intentioned. He tried to comfort her, but he misunderstood the depths of her suffering, thinking his assurance of love and special treatment of her should be enough to cheer her up. Right? There was, there was this misunderstanding there. All right, and then we also see Eli. Eli misinterprets her intensity as drunkenness. All right, we can't find what we truly need. We can't find the, 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 the need that we have. We can't fill the need that we have with others. Now, others can be a help to us, right? Others can encourage us. Others can come alongside us and help us during difficult times. But really, that, that's all determined by whether or not they're turning us toward God and toward the things of God. All right, but, but we cannot find what we truly need um, in others, the things of this world also will not satisfy our greatest need. Remember Elkanah, he's like, I'm going to give you extra food. All right. I'm giving you, I'm giving you double. I'm giving you favoritism. I'm showing you this. All right. But we can't find what we need in the things of this world. Hannah went to God and it says before him, she poured her heart. Look at this verse from David. David says this in Psalm 62, verse 8. He says, trust in the Lord at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. What we could take from this passage today is like Hannah, we need to pour out our hearts to God in the time of our despair. He is the one who can shelter us. He is the one who can comfort us and give us safety. Whether it's addiction, anxiety, distress, life-dominating sin, whatever it is that burdens us in our lives, we need to follow the example of Hannah and pour our hearts out to God. All right, a second thing to take away, simple thing, God is listening. 
again, with everything going on in Hannah's world and the mess and how messed up it was during the time of the judges, God still listened to Hannah's prayer. It's easy for us to look around at our own world and all you have to do is have the news on right for for a few minutes and you can see things on the other side of the world that are a disaster and things over here that are going crazy and this and that and the other thing. And it's easy for us to look around and, and possibly think, man, God, our problems are small compared to everything else. All right. Is God really interested in my life? Is God really interested in the problems that I have? Well, from the story of Hannah, we could say yes. Right. Everything, the chaos going on in her days. And God chose to look at one barren woman and, and meet her need and, and fulfill her desire and answer her prayer. And so just as Peter will tell us in first Peter five, seven, he says, cast all your cares on him for he cares for you. God is a listening God who's there ready to hear, ready to act. And one other, just as God gave Hannah a son, God has given us his son. Um, Maybe you're here today and, you know, this is your first time in church or, you know, you're just visiting because mom's here and you want to visit mom, which is great. And maybe you don't understand all this Bible stuff like, man, what's this kind of a weird, really weird story happened a long time ago. Why is that important? Well, the important thing is that God gave us his son. Like I said earlier, Hannah and her son Samuel were a part of God's bigger plan to send Jesus all right, his son. So 2,000 years ago, God sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins, to take our place. Because, because early on in the Bible, it says God created everything. He created it all perfect. He put Adam and Eve in the garden. Everything was perfect just the way God wanted it, just the way he had it. But it says that, that Adam and Eve rebelled against God. Adam and Eve chose their own way. They chose to doubt God whether God was really on their side, whether God really wanted what was best for them. And in that sin, it destroyed that relationship that was between God and creation. It destroyed God, that perfect relationship that God had. And each and every one of us has gone our own way and chosen to do our own thing. Um, and God, but God did not want to leave us in that. And so through Hannah, this one woman long time ago, we see this continuous line that comes to Jesus where God sends Jesus to earth to die on the cross for our sins that we might know him. And so if you're here today and you do not know him, I pray that today would be that day that you might come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. But today, I hope that through this story of Hannah, we might gain some encouragement that God is a God who is listening he is a God who is the only one who can meet our true needs. And he's the God who sent us, his only son, to die on the cross for our sins. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.